But that last line is simply this, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Let me ask you, as we begin today, how many people do you know who are still searching, who are still running, who are still climbing, who are still chasing after more? How many people do you know who are looking for something in order to gain satisfaction and in order to find contentment in their life, but still in all their efforts to find those things, they are still living in that state of discontent? Maybe you'd have to say you find yourself there today. In a recent Zogby poll, uh, they ask Americans to identify the number one problem in America today. And the number one answer that people came up with was greed and materialism. That was their number one answers, was greed and materialism. But here's the interesting thing. When the same poll asked, what is your personal number one problem? Greed and materialism didn't even make the top ten responses. And you know what that says, don't you? It says this. It's easy to see it in others, but it's tough to admit that we struggle with it, right? I mean, that's what it's telling us. We can point it out and we can see it in other people, but it is tough to admit that we struggle as well. Here's the thing, man. People in our world today, they think they can find exactly what they want. They think they can find just what they're looking for if they just have a little more. Just a little more. A little more money, a little more stuff. But here's the problem. More does not guarantee contentment. And even though we would like to believe it, the Bible doesn't say that contentment comes because God is going to give me a prepaid Amazon Prime account or because God is going to somehow be my little sugar daddy. Or that God is going to be my personal Santa. The Bible doesn't say that. So that's why this morning is going to be good for us and for me. And it's because of this. Because I want us to look at what the Bible does say about living a life of contentment. Being able to be content in our life and content with what we have. Now, if you're visiting with us today, we're in the middle of a summer-long series called The Dog Days of Summer. And what we're doing in this series is we're trying to make sure that we do all that we can to avoid that summertime spiritual slump that so many Christ followers can find themselves in in the summertime. And here's what we've done with this series. We've divided it into three parts. And part one focused on the word depend. And we learned what it means to depend, is depend on Jesus to save us, to strengthen us, to sustain us, and then to shepherd us. And last week, we began part two. And for the rest of this month, we will focus on the word decide. And then in August, we'll be looking at the word devote. So this morning, this morning, this is my prayer, and this is what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that we can discover what it looks like to decide to be content. What does that look like in our life? How can we make that decision to be content? Pray with me and then we'll dive in. Lord, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for all you've done. 
God, what a blessing it is to just be in your house and, and even in the summertime, God, to be able to have so many here who just come to, to hear what your word has to say, to come to worship you. And so, Father, I pray right now that you open our hearts, open our minds. Help us to put out anything other than you right now. It doesn't matter where we're going for lunch. It doesn't matter what we're doing this afternoon. What matters right now is just what do you have for us today? And so, God, I pray you'll use me and may my words be yours. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. In the second part of our series, we're camping out in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles, just go ahead and open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 5 and 6 today. Um, in this passage, as we discovered last week, Paul is writing to Timothy, who he is mentoring in the faith, while Timothy is ministering in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a large city with a tremendous amount of wealth and opportunity. It had a lot of influence, culture, idolatry, and it was a powerful port city at that time. A place for movers and shakers. And to live there meant that you, you had pretty decent social status. Now, Lucy and I have, and my boys, we've had the privilege of, of being in Ephesus. Uh, when our boys graduated from high school, uh, Lucy's mom and dad were very gracious enough to take the whole family. And one of the places we went was Ephesus. And even though it was a port city back then, today it's five miles inland because of all the earthquakes and, and the volcano eruptions that have happened. It, it's moved the land outward and pushed Ephesus inward. But the ruins are amazing. They're just amazing. It was an amazing, amazing place to be. I can't imagine what it would have been like back then. As we saw last week, False teachers were making their way into the life of the church. And the basic motive that they had was simply this. It was for financial gain. I mean, that's what they wanted. They were willing to trade the eternal for the temporal. And this idea of more was the driving force that was taking out a lot of the believers, and especially new believers in Ephesus. And so because of that, discontentment was becoming simply a way of life. They just didn't know what it was to be content, content with what they had, content with their circumstances, content in who they were. Here's the thing. Ephesus was a lot like America is today because it was a culture that paid the price for thirsting for more. Their philosophy was similar to that of John D. Rockefeller, who was once asked, how much money does it take to be happy? You know what his reply was? It was this, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And that was their philosophy. Most of you probably have heard of Howard Hughes. At one time, he was one of the richest men in the world. All he ever really wanted in life was more. So he creatively invested his uh, inherited wealth into a billion-dollar pile of assets, 
When he wanted more fame, he just simply became a filmmaker and a movie star. When he wanted more sensual pleasures, he paid large sums of money to indulge every sexual urge that he had. When he wanted more thrills, he designed, built, and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world at that time. He was absolutely convinced that more would bring him not only satisfaction, but it would bring him contentment. The problem was that wasn't the case. He ended his life emaciated and collarless, with rotting black teeth, with tumors all over his body, and needle marks that covered his body from the drug addiction. He died believing the myth that contentment comes from having more. From having more. And we're basically told that every day, right? I mean, I mean, the whole advertising business is built on creating discontent through the promise of more. So billboards and magazine ads, TV commercials, even sidebars on a web page, they all scream for our attention and our investment of money and time. They are designed to fill, fill us with that same myth that having more things somehow will bring us contentment. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verses 6 through 8, Paul is going to continue his thoughts from the previous verses, the verses that we looked at last week. And he's going to tell them, and he's going to tell us how we can trade discontent for contentment. So here's what I want us to do. Like we've done the last several weeks. I just want us to stand, and I want us to read these verses together. As we look at what Paul has to say for us. So go ahead and stand with me if you would. We're going to read this together. Now we're going back and I've added verse 5 on here. So we're going to be reading verses 5 through 8. Simply because I want you to see how the previous verses tie in to what Paul's going to be talking about today. So church, let's begin reading. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. And they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, like we saw last week in verses 2 through 5, Paul was addressing the false teachers who pursued ministry solely for financial gain. I mean, that was the reason they were doing it for a lot of them. They wanted more wealth. They wanted more stuff. They wanted more pleasure. And he basically says that those people who live that way, they thought that godliness was a means of attaining wealth, especially financial wealth, and for attaining happiness and contentment. They thought that's what it was. So they used their godliness, so to speak, as a way to profit from God. So as I said last week, rather than being a prophet for God, they profited from God. And Paul has to address that. And so starting in verse 6, Paul begins to give them the truth. And he says that if you want true wealth, if you want true gain, if you want true happiness, then this is how you find it. You take 
that godly lifestyle that you were choosing to live, that God wants you to live. You take godliness and you add to that contentment and you will have great wealth. That's where the wealth comes from. In other words, great wealth in the spiritual sense is only attained when a godly person seeks to add to his godliness a spirit of contentment instead of a spirit that says, I just want more. More things, more money, more stuff, more. Now, what's this word contentment mean? Well, it is defined as satisfaction with what one has. And how it's used here in this passage has to do with a satisfaction that's completely independent of external circumstances. Now, let me tell you, if that's the case, then America is a nation that has a massive case of discontentment. How ironic is it that even though we live in the most prosperous nation on the face of the planet, we still struggle with having to have more. And we still struggle with being content. Now, as we think about contentment, one of the things that the Bible says is that contentment is something that's learned. In other words, it's not something that just naturally comes to us. In a lot of ways, for a lot of us, naturally, we're more discontent than we are content. And so it's a learned process. It's something that we learn the more we grow, the more we add godliness into our life, contentment begins to come. I think the Apostle Paul understood this, and that's why he tells us these words in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Look what he says. He says, not that I was ever in need for what? I have learned how to be content. I've learned it. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. So for Paul, it didn't matter if he was in prison it didn't matter if he was being beaten. It didn't matter if he was given up for dead. He had learned how to be content in whatever situation and with whatever he had. He had learned that. It didn't happen naturally. He learned that. Now, how do you know when your life is marked by discontentment? How do you know that? Well, I think one of the things or one of the ways you can, you can know is with these two words, I wish. Ever said those? I wish. In other words, I wish I had more money. Or I wish I had, I wish I had a bigger house. Or I wish I had that new car. Or I wish I had a better body. Or I wish I had a better spouse. I wish, I wish, I wish. And when discontentment marks our lives, it makes God very unhappy. It boils his potatoes, let me tell you. In fact, in Numbers chapter 11, when the Israelites continued to complain about their hardships, it says that God literally sent down fire from heaven and it began to consume all the exterior of the camp. And it continued to do that until Moses prayed on the people's behalf and then God took away the fire. And so why does God respond so strongly when his people display an attitude of discontentment? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons, three reasons actually. First is simply this, is because discontentment shows a lack of faith. I mean, that's really the bottom line. Discontentment shows a lack of faith. It denies the fact that God is God. 
And it denies the fact that God is good. And it denies the fact that God wants to provide for our needs. And he promises us that. So discontentment shows a lack of faith in our life. It shows that we're trying to depend on everything else and everybody else except for God. But second of all, discontentment shows an unwillingness to submit to God's management of our lives. In other words, allowing God to have control, allowing God to take over, to allowing God to lead us and to guide us. It says, in effect, God, you really don't know what you're doing here, do you? You're blowing it, man. I think I can run this show better than you can. I mean, that's what it says when we continue to live a life of discontentment. And then finally, discontentment reveals a deep ingratitude for God's blessings. Look again at the Israelites in the Old Testament. God had blessed them immensely. Why? Man, he had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He delivered them from certain death at the Red Sea as he parted the sea and they went across on dry land. And and he blessed them by providing for all their needs over and over and over again as they're in the wilderness. And yet, instead of being grateful for the blessings of God, they sit around and they griped and they complained because in their eyes, what God had done, get this, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Now, let me ask you, you ever found yourself in that same spot? You ever been there? You ever just been sitting around thinking, God, you're just not doing enough? I mean, if you really loved me, if you really were wanting to bless me, you should be doing this, 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 and this. And yet God's saying, do you see all the blessings I've given you? Have you seen all the ways I've blessed? And yet you say, it's not enough. That's discontentment. So, what do we do with that? What do we do with discontentment? Well, if we're deciding on whether or not we want to remain discontent, whether we want to keep that attitude of more, or we want to live a life of contentment, Paul gives us two things in these verses, in verses 6 through 8, that helps us to change our focus. The first is this. Everything we have is on loan from God. Everything we have is on loan from God. In other words, Paul put it this way to Timothy. He says, we brought nothing into the world and we'll take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into the world and we will take nothing out of it. Solomon wrote these words in in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15. He said, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Story is told of a guy who literally, he only had a few weeks to live. So he ran upstairs. He was at home and he wanted to stay at home. Ran upstairs, got a suitcase, and he just filled it with money. And then he took it up and he put it in the attic. His wife's going, what in the world are you doing? He said, well, I've only got a couple weeks left. He says, when I finally pass away on my way up to heaven... I'm going to grab that suitcase and I'm going to take it with me. His wife just shook her head. (laughs) You know, she didn't know what to think. Well, sure enough, in a few weeks, he passed away. About a week later, she went up into the attic and, and that suitcase was still there. And she just shook her head 
And she said to herself, that, that fool, I tried to get him to put it in the basement so that he could get it on his way down. <laughs> you see, we try to take it with us, right? <laughs> yeah, let that sink in for just a moment. Yeah. Uh, we try to take it with us. True story. There was a guy in Texas. He was a millionaire, probably even a billionaire. I don't know. But he had a new Cadillac every year, and he was a big rancher, and he told everybody, when I die, I want to be buried in my Cadillac, because wherever I go, I want to go there in style. You see, that's, that's the philosophy that this world has, more, more, more. Paul says, you can't, you can't do that, because you, you brought nothing into the world, you're going to take nothing out with you when you go. You see, according to the Bible, we're just stewards of what God has given us, and God is the owner. We are just the managers. And here's the thing. If we can see our money and our possessions from that perspective, contentment will be much more attainable. Much more attainable. But the second reminder Paul gives us is this. He says, be grateful for what God has given. Be grateful for what God has given. Unfortunately, gratefulness like contentment isn't always a natural part of who we are. At times... Even though it seems that we're being grateful for what we have, our actions and our attitudes show that what we have just isn't enough. That's why in verse 8, Paul said these words in verse 8. He said, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. In other words, it comes down to the basics, right? If you, just, if you have enough food and clothing, be content. I'm taking care of you. I'm providing for you. You don't have to worry. So how can we do a better job at that? How can we do a better job at realizing that we really don't bring anything to the table? That everything we are and that everything we have is from God. How do we become more grateful and in turn become more content in our life? Well, let me give you a couple things and then we're going to close. The first is this, stop gazing and start grazing. Stop gazing and start grazing. I want you to say that with me. Are you ready? On three, one, two, three. Stop gazing and start grazing. Several years ago, there was a newspaper that had a cartoon showing two fields that were divided by a fence. Both fields were very lush. Both fields were very green. And both fields had a mule in each one. And the cartoon showed each mule with its head stuck through the fence, eating the grass from the other field. But the problem was they got their head caught in the bob wire and they could not get out. They could not free themselves. To them, the other field looked so much better. The cartoonist just put one word at the bottom of that picture. Discontent. Discontent. In other words, instead of constantly gazing through the fence at something you don't have but you really want, something you think would make you happy, stop gazing and start grazing on what's in front of you. Here's the thing. God gives us all kinds of gifts and God gives us all kinds of blessings, but instead of grazing on them, instead of enjoying what God has given us, sometimes 
We spend a lot of our time and a lot of our energy simply gazing on what others have and what we think we need. And let me tell you, when that happens, discontent will always mark our lives. It will always mark our lives. Because you'll never, you'll never be satisfied with what you have. You'll always want more, more, more. Solomon, who was probably one of the richest and wisest men, sought his entire life for more. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Actor and comedian Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone could become rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they could see that it's not the answer. It's not the answer. See, in a lot of ways it comes down to to this word, and the word is control. If you're in control, you'll never be content. If you're in control, you'll never... Have a life of contentment. But if you give God control of your life, then contentment will be something that you learn to develop as you trust him more and more with your life and as you grow in your relationship with him. So the key is to stop gazing and to start grazing. To start enjoying the life that's right in front of you and focusing on the blessings that he has given and then feed on those things. When you do, contentment will follow. But the second principle is this. Learn to change your perspective. Just learn to change your perspective. Perspective refers to how you look at things. It doesn't change your circumstances. It just changes how you look at the reality of those circumstances. Here's the thing. If you only focus on what you don't have or what you are going through, then you're going to completely miss out on the joy and the blessings and the provisions that he is pouring and wanting to pour into your life. You may not have that new house. You may not have that new car. You may not have that new body you think you need or want. But as we saw a couple weeks ago, you've got a good shepherd in Jesus who loves you and who is willing to lay his life down to make sure that you are taken care of, that you are provided for, and that you are protected as you go through this journey called life. That's why I think David could write in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I have everything I need. If God's my shepherd, I've got everything I need. I I don't need more. I just need him and what he will provide in my life. Let me remind you of a few things. Do you know that every hour of every day, thousands of kids under the age of five are dying from lack of clean water or enough food to survive? And over 20 million people live in poverty and don't have enough food to make it through the day. You see, we need to be reminded of that, ba- of that because the truth is today after church, tonight or sometime this week at some restaurant here in this, in this area, the biggest concern of some people will be this. They didn't cook my hamburger or they didn't cook my steak right. It was rare and it was supposed to be medium rare or it was well done and it was supposed to be medium. 
I mean, we'll complain because the food we've been given doesn't meet our personal standards, while millions wish they could just eat the leftovers of what we have. And I'm just as guilty as you are. That's why we need to learn to be grateful for the fact that we have food to eat. Paul, that's why Paul put it that way in, in verse 8. So if we have enough food and clothing, what? Let us be content. Let us be content. Here's the thing. I think that Paul is basically trying to teach us this principle. And if you don't hear anything else, hear this. The richest, the happiest, the most content are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. Do you get it? The richest and the happiest and the most content people on this planet are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. In fact, all, all of you, all you have to do is to go to another part of the world where people have much, much less than what we have. And if you do and you look around, suddenly you'll become really disturbed. Because in many ways, those who have much less seem to be much more content and much more happy. I've been to Africa twice to visit our son. I've been to Cape Town, South Africa, and I've been to Kenya. And both times when I was in Africa, and both times when we visited the places and, the, and literally uh, the townships that Brandon worked in and helped in, I mean townships that might be six square miles with two million people in six square miles who live in 10 shacks with dirt floors and all that. But what you see is little kids playing and they're happy and they're content. And you see parents who are happy and content because they realize what God has given them. It may not meet our standards, but it sure meets theirs. And it just humbles you and makes you realize how lucky we are. And how fortunate we are. I love this story. True story. Father of a very wealthy family took his son on a trip to the country where the sole purpose of the trip was to show the son how the poor people lived. I mean, that's what the dad wanted to do. I don't know why, but that's what he wanted to do. So they spent a couple of days and nights on, the far- on a farm of what would be considered a very poor family. When they left on the way home, the father asked his son, he said, how's the trip? His son said, oh, dad, it was great. He said, did you see how the poor people lived? And his son simply said, yes, I did, dad. He said, so what did you learn? And this is what the son said. He said, I saw that we have one dog and they had four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden and they have a creek that runs into a lake that has no end. We have imported lanterns in in our backyard and they have fireflies and stars that light up the night. We have a small piece of land to live on and they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants, but they serve others. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. The dad was literally speechless and in tears. And then his son said this, Dad, thanks for showing me how poor we really are. 
It's perspective. Perspective. You want to be content, you change your perspective. You change your perspective. Maybe that's the reason the Apostle Paul could sit in a dark, damp dungeon, chained to guards 24-7, and in spite of that, he could write these amazing words in Philippians 4.4 where he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. And down in verses 11 and 12, he could write, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or little. And what was Paul's secret? It's in the very next verse. In verse 13, look what he says. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the key to contentment. It's that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's that growing relationship with your Savior, Jesus. It's taking godliness and adding to it contentment. And you will have incredible wealth in a spiritual sense. You see, having more money and having more stuff will not meet our deepest needs. They won't make you love your spouse or your kids more or make you feel more secure or content in this world. Only Jesus can do those things. That's why the difference between being being discontent and being content is Jesus. He's the one who gives me the strength to carry on no matter what struggles come into my life. So here's the thing. This morning, if you're struggling, if you're struggling in this area of contentment, if you're struggling, I would love to talk with you. I mean, maybe you don't know the one who brings us life that is truly life, Jesus. Maybe you don't know him yet. Maybe maybe you're just checking this stuff out, or maybe you just never have really surrendered your life to him for whatever reason, but understand, he's the one that's going to help you to bring that contentment into your life and to help you to live that full life. So if you want to find out how you can have Jesus, I want to talk with you. If you just need prayer or you have something that you're struggling with or going through in your life, I just want to pray with you. I would love to talk with you in your relationship with Jesus. So here's what I want us to do. If the worship team will make their way up, We're going to move into a time of the Lord's Supper. If you're visiting with us today, this is just a part of who we are as a church. Communion is something we do each and every week. It's a part of our DNA. It's not just for our church. It's for anyone that's given their life to Christ. This is your time to be with God. So we have three stations down front. In just a moment after we pray, I'm going to invite you to come. And if you'll come to the middle and come down to the front, and then if you'll take the bread and dip it in the cup, and then go back and be seated and just spend some time with God. And once everybody's been served, then we're going to worship Him together. And then we got something amazing we're going to do as well after that. But as you come for the Lord's Supper, if you need Jesus, I'm going to be right over there sitting down, I want to talk with you. If you just need to find him in your life, 
If you're struggling, if you, you're struggling with contentment, I just want you to come. I want to pray with you. Whatever needs you have in your life, just come, we'll pray, and we'll talk. Pray with me if you would. Lord, I just thank you for this day. God, I thank you for all you do, and I thank you for all you've done. God, you're an amazing God. And you provide everything we need in life. Help us to get rid of this idea that the only way we can have contentment is by having more. So Father, as we come to celebrate what you have done for us on the cross, may we never forget the price that was paid. That's in your name we pray. Amen.